uh, we are, um, are not going verse by verse, uh, book by book necessarily, but hitting story after story. So today we're going to be talking about the story of how sin entered the world, entered creation. And I uh, hope you've been enjoying the series so far. I uh, hope that, uh, like I said, you've been, you know, taking those notes and uh, so excited to share them in small group. You know, we just had our small group recently, uh, this past Wednesday. Uh, again, we kicked it off again for the first time in uh, a number of months. And uh, in, in our Wednesday night group, uh, I asked a question, does anybody find it kind of interesting that God made woman from man, you know, took the rib and I'm waiting for a response. It's kind of quiet. Then my wife says, yeah, I do. And I know why. Because man was a rough draft. <laughs> I like that. My wife was getting a little sassy. And all the women laughed. And the men kind of said, yeah, that's true. That's true. So uh, last week, Pastor Mark gave a, a good message from Genesis chapter 2. He talked about how we were created for, so memorable, it's so memorable, created to be in community, yes, community, relationship with one another. And so, see, that's why we got to keep our notes, okay, keep those notes. So we're created for community, the people around us right here, isn't that awesome? God created us to be in community with him, like the cross, is that Vertical, and then you got the horizontal, and with one another. And so God really wanted us to make sure that we were in community. And, you know, uh, we are designed to be like that marriage relationship God called us. And that's really about community, about relationships. And today we're going to start to see Genesis chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, you can turn your book, your Bible open to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to see... What the Bible says, how our relationship was broken, how that community, that fellowship, that communion with God was broken. So you see, Genesis chapter 2 was all about community, it was all about relationship. And then it switches, it turns it 180, that communion they had with God and with one another was ripped apart, broken because of sin. What role did sin and temptation play in the story of Adam and Eve? Well, we're going to see that. Uh, what were the consequences of that sin? We're going to talk about that today. And how do we overcome sin and temptation in our lives? We'll be going through some of those questions this morning. Going back to last week, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Next slide. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of, of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. You will certainly die. So that's Genesis chapter 2. God gave them very clear instructions, very specific instructions what not to do. They can't eat from that one tree in the middle of, of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What is that tree? It's simply good and evil talks about everywhere in between. So it's the tree of knowledge, knowing, okay? So with that as our context, um, we're going to go ahead and jump into Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. 
he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit, the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So you see the dialogue there, Adam and Eve and the serpent. Genesis chapter 3 starts with this character, bursts onto the scene, new character, which is the serpent. So who is this serpent? The serpent, some very liberal Bible commentators say he had nothing to do with Satan, the devil. That's totally wrong. Totally wrong. It's Satan clear through and through. Okay? So Satan is there. The devil, this is the first mention of him in the Bible. And what is the devil's mission? It's to steal, kill, and destroy. You remember that. Steal, kill, and destroy. You know, I've talked about that, I think, a few times uh, I preached ago. That's, that's it. We're talking about spiritual warfare. His mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a fallen angel. Took a third of the angels with him in heaven. Fallen angels, demons. And hell was created for Satan. Did you know that? Hell was created not for us. Definitely not for us. But for Satan and demons. Those fallen angels. And what he wants to do steal, kill, and destroy us, is to take as many of us as he can, many of them as he can with them to hell. That's his whole goal. So we see his strategy from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, very beginning of the Bible, how he works to take as many people to hell with him. So how do you overcome temptation? How do you have victory over sin? This is a huge deal, and God is addressing it right away. This is the one thing God wants us to know today. How do you overcome sin? How do you overcome sin? Look what happened to creation. Look what happened to Adam and Eve. Number one, how do you do that? Know the enemy's tactics. You can just write that in your bulletin. Know the enemy's tactics. So how many of you watched the Super Bowl last week? All right, pretty much everybody, yeah? And we had fun, and we see Peyton Manning going out, the sheriff winning the Super Bowl, and riding out, and hopefully he retires and everything. <laughs> He's too old already, but you know, uh, it was so much fun seeing the upset, yeah? Oh, wow, how did that happen? I thought everybody said the Panthers were going to blow them out. But these teams, they don't realize they have two weeks to prepare for this game. It's not like, you know, NFL, every week you got to prepare, prepare, prepare. They have two weeks and they have all this tape, all the video, and they study everything they can about their opponent. And they know all their tendencies, what they're going to do on this play, and this play, and this play. So by the time, the, this is the last game of the season, right? They played how many games already? Almost 20 games. They have everything that team is going to do on tape. And it's pretty much, you know what's going to come. You know what's coming. You, the play's about to come. The defense is so well-versed in what the offense is going to do. They know what they have to do. It's just a matter of, can you stop me from doing it? And they throw in a little bit of tricks in here and there. But most of the part, they know the opponent's tactics. And that's what we have to do with the enemy. It's spiritual warfare training. When I was um, a young Christian, I'm so thankful. I went through this uh, spiritual warfare class. guy from YWAM called Dean Sherman. So great. Love it. 
And so all of us, we need to be well-versed in the tactics of the enemy. Not that we study it and enjoy and get into all this, whatever it is, that junk. No, we just know where he's coming from. So when he comes to on the attack, we know what to do, right? We say, oh, I've seen that before. Oh, I can tell what he's going to do through this situation. So how does he come against us? How, what are the enemy's tactics? First, the enemy questions God's word. The enemy questions God's word. Okay, so verse number two, check it out. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He's questioning the enemy. He's, the enemy's questioning God's word, right? So did God really say? And so many times we hear that nowadays. Is the Bible true? Did God really say that? Is that what he meant to say? Oh, he would never say that. That's why we started our three weeks before the, this real series started. We talked about the authority of the scriptures, about the Bible being the infallible, inspired word of God. Like the Bible right here that we have is actually God's word. He actually spoke this to us. It's so sacred and so amazing. These are God's word. God breathed out scriptures. No, there's not any mistakes. Okay? This is the inspired word of God. And so many times our culture and our society is saying, no, it can't be. Did God really say that? Just like the enemy. We see from way back then, he's doing the same thing right now. You want to undermine morality, ethics of a nation? You take out the word of God. Because then what do you have? What do you pin morals on? Did God really say that? The Ten Commandments, is that really true? Come on. We're a modern society. No. We know that this is the word of truth. Amen? Next, the enemy lies. The enemy lies. You will not surely die, the serpent said to Eve. Right? You will not surely die. So this, as we know, was a straight up lie. You will die if you eat it, right? But he's telling her, you know what? I'm going to make you question it, and then I'm just going to flat out lie to you. You will not surely die. So, you know, the Bible says the devil, he is the father of lies. That's one of his titles. John 8, 44. He was a murderer from the beginning, Jesus said, talking about the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. Isn't that interesting? When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So have you ever had a lie whispered in your head? You don't know where it comes from. You're thinking, what did, where did that come from? Maybe you're not good enough. Maybe you'll never be able to do it. You're not as good as them. Okay? All that kind of stuff. He'll just flat out lie to you. He'll lie to you about what God thinks of you. God doesn't care about you. If he did, would you really be in this position? All that kind of stuff. The enemy lied to Eve, and he will lie to you. So don't believe the lies. Choose to put all of your faith, all of your trust, where you get all of answers to life's questions, big and small. You have a big question in life. What does the Bible say about who you are and what to do? You have a small question. You know what? What does the Bible say? So many times... 
we're like thinking, you know what? I'm going to find truth someplace else. I'm going to find it in this. Find it what they're doing over here. In education. You know, what the universe, what these professors say. No, find it what the Bible says about truth. Who you are. What to do in life through the Bible. Amen? So, the enemy lies. How else did the enemy attempt to destroy her? The enemy tempts. He went on to say in Genesis 3, 5, he said, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the enemy tempted her in two things. He said, hey, Eve, you know if you eat this, you're going to be like God. Is that kind of tempting <laughs> for someone? Your eyes will be opened. You'll know what he knows. That's tempting, right? Also, he said, notice, God knows. For God knows that when you do this, you're going to be like him. You know what he's implying there? God doesn't want you to be like him. God knows if you do that, you're going to be like him, so don't, he doesn't want you to do it. See, he's saying, God doesn't care about you. If he did, why won't he let you do this? It's totally harmless. He should let you do this. I would let you do this. Right? That's what he's telling her. The enemy is crafty, crafty, crafty. That's why it started off in Genesis 3 like that. The serpent was more crafty. And he still is. His tactics to destroy you haven't changed much. He'll cause you to question God's word. He'll lie to you. He will tempt you. He will come to you in temptation in the weakest of moments where you're most vulnerable, where you're most tired. And uh, you guys know the story of Jesus in the desert. After fasting 40 days, when did the tempter come to him? At the end, right? When he's hungry, when he's tired. But Jesus, he fought back with the word of God, the truth of the word of God. And you're looking, oh, I don't really feel like I'm going to get tempted. Don't worry. He's come. He's waiting. He's looking for your most vulnerable time. He's looking for your time of your weakest. And that's when he's going to come to you. So you have to be ready. Know his tactics. Know his tactics. And remember this. This is very important. Being tempted, is it a sin? Is temptation a sin when you're tempted? It's not. It's not a sin at all. Being tempted. Everybody is tempted. Every single person is tempted. Even Jesus was tempted in the desert. Okay? Every single person is tempted. But giving in to that sin, giving in to that temptation is a sin. Okay, we've got to remember that because sometimes you feel like so, oh, I was tempted to do this. I had this weird random thought going through my head. I'm, I must have been you know, way off left field sinning. No, you know what? As soon as that thought comes in, that's a temptation by the enemy. Just get it out in the name of Jesus, right? So this is... 1 Corinthians 10.13. I love this verse. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out to endure it. Or a way out to escape. Okay, so everything you're going through, God, is, God knows. Okay, those temptations come from the enemy Temptation doesn't come from God. It comes from the enemy, first of all. And when it does, don't worry. It's nothing more than you, what you can bear. All you've got to do is depend on Jesus, depend on God's power and strength, and you can stand up and flee every time. 
James 4, 7 says, resist the enemy or resist the devil and he will flee from you. I teach my kids that. I say, if you ever feel scared, you walk into a room and you feel all frightened or you're in a bad situation, just say Jesus. The Bible says he has to flee. You resist the enemy and he will flee from you. That's a promise of the word of God. All right? So that's number one. Number two, how do you defeat sin and temptation? Know the effects of sin. Know the effects of sin. Genesis 3, verse 6 goes on. It says, When the woman saw that the, tree of the, the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So we see here how sin has entered into creation for the very first time. Can't overstate that enough. That is huge, right? God created everything good. He was so stoked on what was going on. Perfect fellowship with man. His creation. Pinnacle of creation. And then sin, boom, comes dropped like a huge load and changes everything. And with sin coming into the world came the effects of sin. What are those effects? Well, we see it in verse 7. First thing is shame. Shame. So their eyes were open. They realized something for the first time. One minute they were fine, just walking around naked, as naked can be, just, just hanging out, literally, and they're just doing their naked thing, and they realize, whew, next moment after sin, we are naked. So shame, right? I got to cover up. What are you doing there naked? Do you realize you're naked? Why am I naked? We shouldn't be naked. We got to go string some fig leaves together, whatever we can, and not be naked. Okay, so they go and they do their, they cover up. Something came over them. Sin came over them. And what else came over them? The shame. Shame covered them. And so they had to cover up their shame, right? Covering up their shame. Genesis 3, 8. The man, then the man and his wife heard the sound of, of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Another one of the effects is fear. Fear is another effect. Adam and Eve heard God coming as he was walking. And I love what the Bible says here, the imagery that it gives. It says, in the cool of the day, right? God was out walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And I love this verse, how it puts it, because it shows this cool relationship with God. This, you know, really laid back, easy feeling that they have walking around in the cool of the day of the garden. And it reminds me, reminded me of being on the mission field in uh, Kyrgyzstan. Uh, when we went to uh, Kyrgyzstan, we would, it was so hot. It's like summertime, excuse me. And we're walking around, and it's like over 100 degrees, dirty and dusty. Picture Afghanistan a little bit like that with all the streets and everything. And 
you're walking around, and then in the evening time, before the sun goes down, it's just perfect. You know, sun's down, it's cool. Everybody comes outside, and they walk around for the evening walk in the cool of the day. And they get an ice cream, and they're just talking story, and everything seems to be okay. Isn't that nice? That's what I imagine. It's like Jesus, uh, like God walking around with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day of the garden. Everything's just a-okay, right? And it was when sin entered the world. On this day, they heard God coming around the corner for the walk, right? But this time was different. This time they jumped in the bushes. They're hiding because they don't want to be with him. Why? Because they were afraid of being with him. They were afraid of being with God. Doesn't that, isn't that crazy? That doesn't make any sense. We would never do that, right? We were never afraid to be with God. No, we just want to hang out with God all the time. We just love spending time with God. No, do you see what happened here? Do you see how sin translated to us? So many times, aren't we afraid to hang out with God? Of being with God? What is the matter with us? We should just be hanging out with God, talking story with Him, and just enjoying His fellowship, enjoying everything that He's given us, and that relationship, friendship with Him, and talking story. But so many times, we're afraid to go there, aren't we? There's something blocking. There's something here. I don't know what it is. I don't know why I don't want to divulge this or talk about this with God. What is that? That's sin, right? We're afraid. Maybe we're afraid what God might think of us. Oh, if he knew the thoughts that I think, he wouldn't want to hang out with me. He doesn't want to, so I don't want to, I don't want to come to him because then he'll really know. What are you talking about? He knows everything. He knows everything that's going on in our heads. And he's just saying, I just want to hang out with you in the garden. I want to go for a walk with you today. Maybe when you leave this place, would you take up the challenge and you would say, I want to have this kind of garden walk with God today. I'm going to walk and I'm going to, instead of talking to myself, I'm going to talk to God. Yeah, why not? Switch that little voice in your head, talking to yourself all the time. Switch it to talk with God. Have that open, intimate relationship. Right? So, they had that guilty conscience due to sin, and it caused them to jump into the bushes. Fear will always cause you to jump into the bushes and hide from God. Right? So, moving on. Verse 11 says, And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Interesting that God would ask that question. Verse 12, The man said to the woman, Sorry, man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So you see what's going on here. Another effect is blame. Blame. God knew the answer. Why was he asking all those questions? If he knew the answer, though? Well, for those of you who are parents, you know what happens when your children are arguing and there's a big fight in the house and blah, blah, you go in there and you kind of have an idea of already what's going on. And when you're asking them, what's going on? Who did this? Who's to blame? All this stuff, right? Are you really trying to figure out the answer to that, those questions? No, right? You're just looking as a parent for someone to take what? Responsibility. You're looking for that one child to say, yeah, you know, I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. 
I was really pushing too hard on him or her on that. And, you know, but very rarely does that happen. Every once in a while, there's a little miracle that goes on, right? And we see that. But we're just looking as parents, and our parents did that to us, looking for somebody to take responsibility for their actions. And nowadays, that's huge, especially young people who are here. Responsibility for your actions is so important because the world is moving in this direction right now where we're, liking, we're wanting to blame every one of our problems on somebody else. There's entire political com- campaigns going on about that, right? Okay, tapping into that sentiment. But we have to take personal responsibility for our actions. And this is exactly what didn't happen there. Adam blamed his wife. She blamed uh, the devil, right? But nobody took personal responsibility for their actions, for their sin, right? Moving on to number three. How do you know victory over sin? Know the consequences of sin. So we saw the effects. Now what are the consequences? Know the consequences of sin. So verses uh, 14 through 19, they talk about the consequences uh, for our sin. And um, moving down, we're going to skip over how the serpent was cursed. First we see how the serpent, there were consequences for what he did. He was cursed for certain of his actions. But we're going to come back. Then we see how Adam and Eve were cursed for their disobedience. Genesis 3.16 says, To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Yikes. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So we're starting to see... Oh, man, pains in childbirth, okay? For those of you who are women, I am so sorry. Men are such wimps, okay? Uh, This, uh, I don't know what to say. This is not even fair, all right? I've seen my wife give birth to three children, and this is like, we have such an easy job. You know, it's like, pains in childbirth. That's just, oh, man. So... I don't even know what to say about that, okay? (laughs) Except, do you see the ramifications, the consequences for our sin? That's a big one, right, women? Shake your head, yes, you know. That's a big consequence, okay? Genesis 17, moving on. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. So the ground was cursed. The earth is under a curse. This almost sounds like one of these Narnia things, right? But it's true. Okay? There were consequences for sin. The whole earth is cursed. You know, we sing, you know, what a wonderful world and how awesome and beautiful our world is. And yes, there, there is that part of it. And there are, like we say, in the same vein, like, there's some really good people out there, you know, but we're filled with this sin problem. The earth is filled with the sin problem. It's thorns and thistles. And then he goes on to talk about Genesis 19. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust 
you will return. Ultimately, the worst consequence, the ultimate consequence for our sin is death. The ultimate consequence for sin is death. So, as far as I'm concerned, looking into statistics of people dying, 10 out of every 10 people born die. Did you know that? I read about it. It's true. 100%. 100%. Okay? Death comes to all men. Every single one of us. All human beings. Every single one of us is going to die. And that's... Uh, when you're young and everything, I'm sure you, you... We don't think about it, right? But the older you get, you start to contemplate. Okay, here, I only have a... You know, on average, I don't know when it's going to come, but I only have so many years left in me, right? And you start to contemplate... Okay, what's coming up next, right? Death is a consequence, the ultimate consequence for sin. Romans 5.12 says this. This is a huge verse in the Bible. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Let's go bit by bit through that. Sin entered the world through one man. Who's that one man? Adam. Sin entered the world through one man. That was Adam. Thank you, Adam. You know, thank you, Eve, for childbirth pains. Right? We're thinking. Thank you. But no, the verse goes on here and says, and death through sin. Right? We know death came through sin. But look, and in this way, death came to all people because what? All sin. We don't have an excuse. We can't blame it on Adam and Eve. Oh, if they didn't mess up, we would have done it better. I heard my kids say that before. Oh, thanks, Adam and Eve. We wouldn't have sinned. Okay, that's what kids say, right? We think, but no, none of us is perfect. You see, God's standard is perfection. Heaven is not a good place. Heaven is a perfect place. And only perfect people can go there. And none of us hits that standard of perfection. Actually, sin is an archery term. You miss the perfect bullseye, what is it? It's a sin. You miss the mark, the perfect mark. And every single one of us has missed the mark because none of us is perfect except through Jesus. So, through Adam's sin, death came to all men. Every one of us has a terminal disease. Every one of us has been born with this disease that we've inherited and it's called sin. That's why every single one of us is going to die one day. Okay? If we didn't, the God's original plan, His in, original intention, was that we wouldn't die. The earth wouldn't be cursed. There'd be no pains in childbirth. All right? All of these things, all of these curses, it would never have happened. Right? His original design. But we're not living there. We're living in a world corrupted by sin. And sin touches everything around us. Sin has ruin countless number of lives. We all see it. We all have people who have been ravaged by sin. Families broken apart. My own family is that way. My wife's family through divorce and every, all kinds of stuff, addictions and everything. Ravaged by the effects of sin. So we know how real this problem is. And that's why it's so important that we would be prepared and know how to deal with temptation and deal with sin. 
Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We see sin touch everything, every single person. Even if the person seems to have their life so together, man, look at that person. Look at their clothes. It's so ironed. How do they always find time to iron their clothes? Man, I got to like, it's like a big deal if I iron a shirt. But look at their family. They look so perfect. That couple over there, man, look at him and his job. He just like seems like he's on top of the world. Man, he must be the happiest guy. And then one part of your mind says, but he's not a believer. And then another part of your mind says, yeah, he, I wonder how happy he really is. At night when he puts his head down on the pillow and he's wondering about things that are more spiritual and eternal. And what's going to happen? What if tonight, what if I don't wake up tonight? Or tomorrow morning? What if I, this is my last day on earth, right? Where am I going to go? And you start to wonder what's going on in the mind and the heart of that person. And every single person has been touched by sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what is so cool about Genesis chapter 3, this was the first um, chapter, verse scripture I had ever preached on. We were studying up in England and we were in this little chapel together um, every morning. And you have, um, on Fridays, I think it was, um, you have one of the students preaching. And I had never preached a sermon before. And I'm up there and I'm preaching and I'm so nervous. My leg is literally like this. And it was like five-minute homily. <laughs> okay? And I prepared so many weeks in advance. And this Genesis chapter 3 story, and I'm thinking, what am I going to say? It's such a heavy-duty subject. And I'm here with all these professors from all over the world who are like, totally uh, professional and like experts on the Trinity and all kind of, you know, Pauline epistles and all this kind of stuff. And I'm there, I don't know what to say, and I'm talking about the fall of man, right? Sin entering the world. And we were just talking about it, my wife and I, I made a complete fool of myself. It was like the dumbest sermon ever. And they were just like gracious enough and just, hey, good job, Max. Yeah, awesome first time sermon. And, but I do remember talking about authenticity and being somebody who's not having a mask in front of you or like trying to cover up your sin, your shame. And you have to be vulnerable and transparent with, with people. That's what I got from that first time sermon. But I love this chapter more so than any other, besides that, the, having that first time preaching, is God's grace. God's grace coming through in Genesis chapter 3. We see this huge story of sin, temptation and sin. But really what shines through most of all is God's grace. Let's go back to where I said we skip over. Remember the serpent was cursed? We skipped over that. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, this was his cursing. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. This is the awesome part. Genesis 3.15 And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his eel. 
So you see, from the very beginning of our disobedience and our walking away from God, God worked out a way to rescue us from our sin. How do you mean, Max? What are you talking about? Check out that verse, okay? So God's saying to the serpent, he's going to put enmity between you, like strife between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Who is her offspring? Jesus. The woman is Mary. A human being would give birth to somebody who would come against the serpent, the devil, okay? Your offspring and hers. That is a prophetic verse. We see in book of Matthew and everything we just went through Christmas, how that was realized and been made true, right? He will crush your head. Who is he? Jesus. Jesus will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So on the cross, check this out, this grace part of this Genesis chapter 3. From the very beginning, God is saying, listen, even though you guys went away from me, Adam and Eve totally left, you have this curse of sin upon you. Look what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you a savior. He is going to be born of a woman. He's going to crush the head of the serpent and you will strike his heel. I don't know if you saw The Passion of the Christ. Remember that movie a few years back? One of the first scenes is the serpent through the garden, right? Comes through and what does Jesus do? Boom! Kills the snake going through the garden. Just crushes the head. That was theologically inaccurate though. Because when did Jesus crush the head of the serpent? On the what? On the cross. Okay? On the cross. When he, in his resurrection. So the serpent says, no, I'm going to get him back. When, he, when he's going to do, I'm going to kill him. And he thought he had him on the cross. He struck his heel, right? Did the cross hurt? Did Jesus want to even go to the cross? No. He said, God, Father, if there's any other way, Please, let's do it. Let's do it any other way, but not my will. Let your will be done. Serpent came. He was nailed to the cross. Serpent saying, yeah, we got him. But it was only a bruised heel. That was it. Three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. He defeated death. He defeated the devil. And guess what else he defeated? Sin. Isn't that awesome? So in this verse, right here in chapter 3 of Genesis, the very beginning of our Bibles, God is saying, oh, let me tell you the end of the story. Let me tell you how it ends. I don't want to ruin it or anything, but I am. I'm going to ruin this whole thing. I'm going to tell you the beginning. You don't even have to read any further. This is a prophecy about victory over sin. So that's today's message. It's how do you know victory over temptation? How do you know victory over sin? It's right there from the very beginning. It's a story of God's grace. We don't have to do any of it. We just have to say, thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross, for being resurrected. Romans 5.15 says this. For if many died by the trespass of one man, who's that one man? Adam. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man Jesus Christ overflow to many. So if death came to the world just because of what Adam did, imagine how much more the victory, the sacrifice, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is going to be given to all of us. If every person is infected with this sin problem, 
guess how much more the grace of God can cover you? How do we defeat temptation and sin? Is it by trying harder? Is it by saying, God, next time I'm going to be stronger. I'm not going to let that happen again. No, it's simply by saying, Jesus, I thank you for what you did for me. God, I thank you for the sacrifice you made for me. I thank you for your grace. John 10.10 says this, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Is there somebody here today that's been ravaged by sin? You're tired. You don't want to be continuing to be in this cycle anymore. I don't know why I do it. I just keep on messing it up. I keep on going back like a dog eating his vomit, going back to that certain sin. God, please help me. I don't know what to do. We see the mission of the enemy. We know his tactics. We know the effects of sin. We know the consequences of sin now. We're ready. Amen? But most of all, number four, I want you to know the Savior of your sin. You can write that in your Bibles. You've got to know the Savior. Who is the Savior? Jesus. Know him. He offers us, each of us, a relationship with him. And when we do, all of the grace that he offers us is ours to defeat temptation, to defeat sin. Let's go ahead and stand. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 11, verse 25, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Isn't that awesome? Jesus conquered sin. He conquered death. He conquered the devil. We know God's grace covers us all. The only thing we do, so many times, we're so afraid. We're trapped in that sinful nature. We want to jump in the bushes and hide. We want to blame it on somebody else. Today, I would just ask you, we'd be open and honest and transparent before the Lord. And you say, whatever I'm dealing with, Lord, I'm going to leave it here today and I'm going to receive your grace in exchange. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord God, I just thank you that you tell us who is the victor from the very beginning. Lord, you love us so much, God, that there were certain things that we think that we just can't bring to you. We can't give to you. We want to hide from you. But you love us so much, Lord, that you say, I'm going to share with you this story of these two people who tried to do that. They thought they couldn't come before me and they were holding it and hiding it and covering up their shame. But that's not what I want my children to do. So I'm going to give you Jesus. I'm going to give you the victory over temptation, the power to defeat it, the power to defeat sin. And so I just ask if there's anybody here today would like that power over temptation, that power to defeat sin in their lives, they would go ahead and just open up their hands as a sign and say, God, I need your power today. I really need it. And Lord, you see these open hands and open hearts, these palms before you and hearts before you. I just ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would come with the power of your Holy Spirit and cover them with the reality of your grace. That it's not anything about us, how cool we are, how strong we are, Lord, how much we want to do it. But it's just really saying, Jesus, you did it all for me on the cross. You won the victory. 
You did it all for me when you were resurrected three days later. And I just want some of that. I need you, Jesus. And maybe there's somebody here that's never even trusted in Jesus for the first time in their lives and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I need forgiveness for all of my sin. I ask that they would just simply say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for the ways I thought I could do life on my own. Thank you for sending me your son, Jesus, who died for me. I believe in him. I want to follow him. Please help me to do so for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. So that's the fall of man. Have a great Sunday, like I said. Enjoying fellowship with the Lord, just talking story with him, hanging out in the cool of the day. Have a great Sunday and be sure to high five or give somebody a hug on the way out and enjoy some snacks in the back. Thank you.